So we're going to get started. Today we're going to be talking about conflict and related to conflict, we're going to touch on player death. Not quite sure exactly how much we'll be touching on that, but as always, I'm Steve. I'm Mark. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. <laughs> Gleefully joining us there at the end. Sweet Tracy. Hello again. <laughs> hello. I say hello again like we haven't been talking before we started recording. Okay. So, thinking about things right off the bat, I've got in my outline here, thinking about conflict. And as we talked about before the show, I was putting conflict into three categories. Player to player, character to character, and DM to player. And each one of those has its own sort of context and its own sort of pitfalls, its own sort of dynamic. And within all three of those, depending on if you are a beginning DM or an experienced DM, you will probably have vastly different ways of coping with those situations. And when I say experienced DM, I'm not just saying someone who's DM'd a lot. I'm not just saying, oh yeah, that guy's been DMing for 20 years. I'm talking about someone who has actually grown as a DM. Because from my seat, as mainly a player, I almost see a DM as kind of a group therapist. And not necessarily that they're there to dole out the info and make us all heal as individuals outside of the game. However, you do have a certain role to keep the game healthy. And so an experienced DM, with that in mind, has to make sure that these conflicts don't get out of hand and they don't poison the game and it doesn't become a toxic situation. So I'm curious what you all feel about that, Tracy. In my role with the kids that I work with, I kind of am a therapist to them. And like, it's my job to make sure that they're going through the game using their behavior modification skills that they've learned. So for us, it's not about learning to play the game so much as it is learn about how to interact with each other and treat each other with respect and work together to solve a problem. And so that working together to solve a problem is what comes in when you have player conflict. So you got to remind your players when it starts to get heated, what they're there for. That's what I do. Give them a choice. You know, do you want to have this fight? Or are we going to quit playing games right now so you guys can go outside and shoot hoops for a while till you figure out to cool off? But we can't really do that when we have a bunch of grown-up players. We can't tell them to go outside and shoot hoops till they chill out. But I do think it's important as the DM to shut it down if it gets nasty. You know, I'm not allowed to let my kids treat each other with disrespect. And I don't think as a DM, even at a grown-up game table, I would be comfortable with that kind of disrespect thing going on. Well, I think how you handle it depends a lot on what the source of the conflict is. Steve was talking about how you have player versus player conflict, and that is a lot different than the characters themselves having different motivations and in getting into conflict. And that itself is different from whenever a player and a DM are clashing. And those overlap sometimes, of course. But ultimately, each conflict that exists is going to have a more root cause, whether it's more rooted in the player or in the character. That is true. Andrew? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I th I think that character versus character conflict is superfluous to most adventures. That pitting the characters against the characters isn't really necessary if you have a well-structured storyline. The player should have enough conflict with the world and with NPCs so that they're not needing to have conflict with each other. And I think that most conflict at the table comes from character slash player conflict, where the character wants something, maybe through the eyes of the player, the character wants something, uh, wants a course of action, is disappointed in controlling the other characters to achieve that goal, 
And it's at that point where their goals diverge. There's this power struggle for what path is going to be taken. Am I going to get the magic item or is my character going to be dead because of your action? There's a struggle for power between the players. And it may be through the character's eyes, but there's still that power struggle. It's definitely not valuable long term. And mature players can typically, you know, role play that out pretty well and just let it roll off. So I don't, I don't think it's useful for a long, for a game that's going to go on for a long time to have that conflict there. Even in dramatic presentations of narratives such as film or books, the characters have an arc that they change over time. So you may start off with some conflict among the protagonists in the storyline, but there's a structured arc where they're views change, where they separate and one becomes the antagonist, or they become allies and they work together to a common goal. But that's structured into the story. And you can't do that when it's a collaborative storytelling environment. You end up with a mess. So I've seen many times character conflict without any personal conflict. Their goals, the goals of the characters themselves, will change over time, and they will sometimes diverge in important ways on different issues. Let's say you have some authoritarian government in your campaign, and one of them ends up being involved with the government, and the other one is against that. Those characters are going to just get into conflict as characters, regardless about the players. Now, a lot of that can be addressed up front if you have people create their characters together so that the goals at least initially are aligned. But I think over time, the characters are going to disagree on things. And sometimes that can lead to interesting conflicts that aren't related to personal conflicts between the players themselves. And I think that that kind of conflict can be interesting and useful. Now, you're correct in saying that it's not at all necessary for a game. You can totally have a game without it, just be teamwork all the time and do it that way. But I don't think that there's anything wrong, and I think that it can be interesting if you have character conflict without personal conflict. Whenever you get into personal conflict, I think that that's whenever you start hitting actual issues. So, talking about tension between the players, and whether or not that is a positive or a negative in a campaign or a party, makes me think about Star Trek before and after Roddenberry. Because with Roddenberry, he wanted to make sure that the interpersonal conflicts of the main characters were kept to a minimum. There was needling and a little bit of, well, pretty much racist talk between Bones and Spock. And so that was the main driver of interpersonal tension within the core members. And that is what his kind of mandate was. We, we are not going to have these interpersonal conflicts. So when the next generation came around and the people who were producing and directing and writing the scripts and they wanted to take it beyond that, Once Roddenberry backed off and started leaving more and more of the show to other people, then they started introducing this interpersonal conflict. And I think that when we're talking about this, there has to be a line between unhealthy interpersonal conflict and healthy interpersonal conflict. When it becomes hurtful to the player, then that changes how things are within the game. But I can't imagine, you know, if you take any good story that has a cast of characters, if there's not something that they argue about or something that they disagree on, then you lose something. You know, it's not all just running through the forest hand in hand and skipping. I think that that conflict is inevitable that you will have player conflict, you will have character conflict, that that is inevitable. To construct it as part of the story, to build it in, it's unnecessary to do that. And I think it's asking for additional problems, especially if the players haven't discussed that conflict 
out of character, out of game, so that they know that this conflict is coming, so that they can plan a, an appropriate story arc for their characters and how they plan to play that out. I've been in a lot of games where I've got one player who wants to just pick somebody at the table, and that's going to be their foil, and they are constantly picking on that character. It's fine for a game or two. You get a couple laughs, but after that, it gets old really quick, and the target of that is done. And it becomes very, very difficult to maintain a long-term game. And if you're looking at a campaign that is expected to last a year, then it's definitely not something you want to build into your story. I know that I've talked before about putting it into the story, but I would never intentionally build it in unless it develops naturally. You said that it would develop naturally, and I think it will. And I think that there's a difference between how some GMs handle it. Some GMs will attempt to stamp that out immediately, and some will sort of let it reach its natural conclusion, like I will, unless, of course, it turns into an actual personal conflict, in which case I will intervene. It's going to happen regardless, but if everybody at the table knows what's expected of them to begin with, and when I play with kids, I set it down straight up, like we're a team, we are working together to solve this problem. And I do that and tell them, this is how we go. When they have personal conflicts and sometimes character conflicts, oh, they'll try so hard to justify their rudeness with the character. It was my character. And they're allowed to play characters, and I tell them they're allowed to get mad and they're allowed to have differing viewpoints. But I guess it's different with grown-ups. Needling and a lot of things that people say are in good fun can often be taken to heart by people. And I guess as the DM, you got to be sensitive to your players. Some players, like some kids, they can take it. They can roll with it. They can work it into the story and make the story better. Some players will shut down. Some players will get, as you said earlier, butt hurt. You know, and I think that's kind of a disrespectful way of addressing how a player feels. Like, yeah, my feelings are hurt. You're allowed to feel hurt by rude things people say to you, even if it's in the game or in the story. So I shut it down. Some DMs can roll it out, but I will shut it down. A good strategy might be for the DM to say to the players that are showing a conflict between their characters, address it and say, it seems as if there's a conflict developing between your players. And you guys need to figure out how you want this to play out. And how, how do you want to let this evolve? Are your characters going to become enemies? Are they going to work out their differences and become friends at some point? How do you see this playing out? And let them have agency in the recovery of this. Give them story-based options to work their way out of this fight. Because when it gets to be like two 14-year-old boys up against each other, nobody wants to cave. They're at a point where they just want to win. Each one of them wants to win. And you got to change the story. And I'll do that at my table with a story element. Bring in another story element, like a siren goes off, or that house is on fire, or something to take their attention away from this moment of conflict and remind them of the greater arc that they're working on in the story. And if that doesn't work, yet yeah, set them down outside of the game and work on their personal issues. I normally let it play out. Like I said, unless it actually devolves into serious personal conflict, I don't really involve it. Generally, what will happen, the way I've seen this play out, is that they will either find a way that they will work together because they want to do that. Or sometimes, and this is actually more interesting, one of the characters will actually sort of get ostracized. People will decide that that character has kind of stepped away from the party goals, from the goals of most of the party. And that's actually really interesting to me because usually what I'll do after the session where I figure that out, that that's happening, is I'll talk to the player about, hey, do you want your character to become an antagonist and, you know, become part of the story that I will control? Or what would make your character get in line with the rest of the party's goals? So those are the two options that I'll, I'll see and I'll talk about at the end. Whenever one of the player characters actually becomes a serious antagonist, I think that's really interesting because they already sort of know the antagonist. I'm chewing on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 
if we're talking about this from the DM's perspective and or the GM's perspective, I got to start referring to it as GMing. You know, I have a lifetime of referring to all game mastering as DMing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. I understand that people who are younger don't have that distinction in quite the same way. And so GMing, I really have to get into that because it's in our damn name. So I was thinking about pitfalls and I've got written down here about the beginner DM and beginner DMs. The two biggest problems that I always see with people who are starting, and it doesn't really mean that they're young. It doesn't really mean anything based on age, but it happens to do more with experience is that you get DMs who are your adversaries and they play it like the Dungeon Keeper game, the old PC game. If you've ever had a chance to play that, it's a fantastic game. You get to play the Dungeon Master, Dungeon Keeper character. You're sending out your little drones to mine and build your dungeons with your traps and you get to smack them around and you get to be an evil bastard. And it's a very interesting game. But it's very self-aggrandizing, and it's a very selfish way to play. But a lot of beginning DMs do that. The game itself becomes, as I said, self-aggrandizing. The story that they've put together, they're going to take you on this journey. And yes, it is the DM's job, GM, their job to allow a party, allow these individuals to experience a world and go through to an ultimate goal. But the best reward on it is when you are kind of in a way removed from the game. And I think maybe part of this in the show notes was Andrew talking about the values that the person has as a GM. Was that you, Andrew, talking about values that you bring to the game? I did mention the importance of that, especially yeah. if your your goal is to give the players and the characters opportunities to improve their decision making. And that's something that can actually be done if it's actually possible that we can give our players an opportunity to make better decisions and think through things better, that the DM's values become very important because you could just as easily reward bad behavior through your game. You could reward selfishness. You could reward isolationism. You could reward things that aren't necessarily correlated to good thinking. And so the DM needs to be a little self-aware of what values they're wanting to share in their world. You know, is the world capricious and just unfair and doesn't matter what the character does, that evil is going to befall them. Or does it reward behaviors that are selfish and those types of things where you don't have a good connection on good decision making and being rewarded for that? There's also the illusion that good's always going to triumph. I think that players need to have some disappointment in their pursuits, especially, you know, sort of near the second act. You've got to have this kind of moment where you realize, I thought I was ready, but no, I'm not. And I'm not prepared. I need more stuff. I need I need to have some challenges that just because I'm doing the right things, things aren't working out for me. You do need to have some of that sort of realism, abandon the happily ever after thing. You know, I don't really reward either of those. For me, if I have a reward system, it is just what makes the game more interesting and enjoyable for everybody involved. If a player plays their character in a way that involves novel solutions or drives the plot of their own. That is the sort of behavior that I want to reward. For me, it is not a moral or immoral teamwork, non-teamwork thing. It is all about what makes the game more fun and interesting. I guess I'm not trying to push any particular morality on my game outside of I just want it to be fun and interesting. But you are. You have values that you find interesting. You have particular traits that you find interesting, and you reward those traits. 
And what I'm saying is that the DM needs to be aware of what those values actually are. Because if you're rewarding, especially if you're working with young kids, if you're rewarding traits that are interesting to you, but detrimental to them, that's not a good combination. I don't usually work with young kids. And I guess if anything, I'm rewarding proactivity, which I don't know how you want to see that as a moral thing, but that would probably be my most rewarded thing. Well, I agree with Andrew that the DM's perspective that they bring to the game is colored by what they're trying to get out of being the DM. Okay, do you want to see your friends at the table make good decisions and have a good time? I want to see them making decisions and actually considering evidence and all these things that they don't really get a chance to do when they're playing video games or or whatever it is that they're doing in their other time. And entertaining is different based on whatever group you're in, okay? It can be entertaining to have, you know, my my fighter that peed his pants every time he lost a will save. That was entertaining, okay? It doesn't have to be interpersonal conflict to be entertaining. Absolutely not. But from the ground, in my games, I do outline a moral framework. Like, I don't let my kids play evil characters. Because that's not what we're dealing with yet. Like, if you get a group together that you know each other and you've played with each other enough to understand where people are coming from, and then you want to try introducing a lawful evil character into a party of lawful good uh, characters, that might be really interesting. I mean, I'm sure I have friends who are evil, okay? But I'm still friends with them. Maybe not evil. But, you know, how these two things can get along in the world together, but not. Not at the get-go and not at the table with my kids. Like, be good. I go and tell them, we're going to be, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to be kind. And it's really hard enough when you're trying to say, oh, can I kill these orcs? Like, is it okay to murder these orcs? We've got a moral problem right there. You know, are we going to go into their cave and slit their throats while they sleep and call ourselves good characters? We can talk about that, too. Is murder okay? Like, are we allowed to be like, oh, let's run through this goblin cavern and just, like, bash the heads in of the goblins? Well, you, I mean, you can do that, and that's a classic hack and slash what a lot of kids think of when they play D&D. But then you lose a lot of, you know, you'll lose valuable information. You won't know where to go next. You've got to give them a way to see how being good and kind can benefit them in, in the game. I agree. I don't have evil characters in my games. I don't really use an alignment system, but I am clear about that because, you know, if you have uh, at least what Dungeons and Dragons calls good and evil characters on the same team, you are asking for trouble. That's why, like I said, I normally have group creation sessions. Like, I'm fine, honestly, if the players there decide, hey, we want to play a bunch of douchebags. I'm fine if everybody's on the evil team, but uh, we got to be more or less on the same team, you know what I'm saying? Team douchebag. Sorry, yeah, you I can be I'll team have douchebag. that in my head forever now. <laughs> team douchebag. To the douche canoe, everybody. Oh. That's uh, horrifying and hilarious. So, <laughs> thank you for that. You have these things that come up between the players. It might stem from characters and how they're played. It might be that people chafe against each other as just personalities within the game. But the particular causes within your game, what are some of those that you've come across? And do you have any ideas, any suggestions on how to handle those specifically? And I'll begin with Mark. So your first cause, I'd, I'd say, is just people's personalities clash. And that's probably what happens the least, but I've seen it happen in my games before. In my case, with these people, they were able to handle it and just play the game normally with their personality clash, but I'm sure that there's some that haven't. You're going to have actual personal conflicts. So, for example, somebody slept with somebody else's significant other or something like that. That's going to be a serious conflict, and I don't think it's up to you as the game master to try and solve that. I think... That is just a terrible situation, and probably somebody's going to have to leave the game at that point. More common than either of those are you're going to have 
alpha gaming, where you have some player who is telling everybody what to do or taking over all the puzzles, trying to sort of monopolize in that way, that can be a problem. And the last one, and probably the most common, I think that in every game I've been in, basically since I was an adult, there have been conflicts caused by alcohol. It's not very often or frequent, but it's going to happen. You know, if people are drinking at the table, on some occasion, for all the typical reasons people over-imbibe, someone is going to drink too much. And when they do, invariably, they're going to do something out of character, misjudged, stupid, and it's going to offend somebody else in some way. I basically have three solutions that you can go for on this. The first solution is you can let it be, and I think that 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 works generally for alcohol most of the time because it's normally a one-time problem. Obviously, if somebody's getting blacked out at every session and causing problems, that's that's where you're going to want to discuss that with them. Alpha gaming, you can't just let that be. Personal conflicts, you can't, but personality clashes, sometimes they'll figure that out on them by themselves. Your second option, and I'm listing these in order of preferability. Ideally, you would like to let it be. That involves the least problems for you. Um, So, if you can, you do that. Second, you'll have a discussion with somebody. So, you know, if there's, for example, with alpha gaming or uh, some personal conflicts or some personality clashes, or if alcohol becomes a regular problem, you know, you're going to want to say, hey, let's talk about this. Let's figure out what's going on that other players or me as the DM don't like. Let's figure out how to solve this. And that normally works very well. And the third option, which I've never had to use, but I know some people do, is to actually remove a player from the game. And that is sort of your third, final, and most drastic option. Those are the causes I have for at least personal conflicts. If alcohol's causing problems at your table, you're allowed as the DM to say, don't drink at my table. You're allowed to say that. We're all grown-ups here. I've hosted house parties before. People enjoy imbibing. You're still responsible for your actions when you're drunk. Like, I was drunk is a reason, but it's not an excuse. So, people get one time, okay? And if you're very beloved like me, they'll give you a couple more chances. But... (laughs) (laughs) just don't do it like if it happens one time like if that's the problem like you just gotta nut up and say i was wrong i made a mistake i'm sorry i won't do it again you know what i mean absolutely that's all i got to say about that normally alcohol i found is a one-time thing usually somebody switches from their normal drink or something and they drink too much and they cause a problem and normally they i don't think i've ever seen the same person do it again because they feel bad enough the next day that they're aware of what happened. But, well, not exactly what happened, but they know that they misbehaved. All conflicts, regardless of whether they're in-game or out-of-game, are caused by a, a power conflict, where you've got two competing interests wanting to validate their power or to acquire more power. And power is one of these weird things that it's zero-sum. You know, the only way you get more power is to take it away from someone else. So. When you've got someone wanting more power, there's only so much power at the table, they are going to step on someone else to do it, whether intentionally or not. That concept covers the, the power gamer. They're wanting power over the group. They're wanting to be the leader. They, they've got this urge there. They want, to, they, they want the most powerful weapons because they want their character to do the most damage. It is symptomatic, if that evolves into conflict, that they are not really team players. They're not looking to build the group as a whole. They're wanting to build their character, and that can be problematic. So part of it's not seeing the group as a team and seeing themselves as sort of an outsider or as the team being their support. They see that the story is about them instead of being about the group as a whole. So one of the solutions for this is to and again, this applies to real life as well as the gaming table, is that when you see someone overreaching for that power is to label it and say, it seems like you want to lead the party. And have you thought about that? And 
to address it. And typically, when you label a negative behavior like that and just say, it seems like you're doing this particular behavior, that once they're aware of it, that often draws it back, that you see that even if you do that with emotions, it seems like you're angry. If it's a negative emotion, they will roll that back a little bit because they were attempting to use that as a tool to gain power. And now that it's kind of out there in the open, it's not the elephant in the room anymore, it's kind of clear, the behavior typically changes. Excellent advice. And sometimes it's about power, but it is about attention, especially with young kids. And like, I've played at many gaming tables. Sometimes you got somebody who needs to be the center of attention and they get frustrated when they don't get enough screen time. So one of the ways I like to avoid that as a DM is make sure you give everybody a little screen time in the scene. Give them something to do. Don't let the strong fighter guy have all of the interactions. Put something in there for everyone. And maybe you can avoid some of the power seeking or some of the attention seeking if you give everybody a little bit. You can't always. And sometimes you'll get a heckler who wants to question every decision that you make. Because they realize that they can. So that's a problem that I've faced a little bit. They get frustrated by the fact that they're not the spotlight in the game. And then they start trying to derail it. And if you can't diffuse that with humor, humor is the best way to diffuse tension in a lot of situations. You can't make a joke about it if you can't make them back off. Like you said, Andrew, call them on it. Be honest. Everybody needs to play here. It's not just about you. And a lot of times they'll become aware of their behavior and take it back because they do ultimately want to be a part of the team. I agree entirely. Usually awareness is a huge part of it. A lot of times whenever people are doing things that other people don't like, they're doing it because they aren't aware that whatever action they're taking is actually upsetting other people. And once you make them aware of that, then they'll be like, oh, didn't know that. And they'll back off. So yeah, that's a great strategy, either humor or just pointing it out. And especially always as like one of the only girls at the game table, there's a lot of misogynistic joking that goes around. And if you don't realize that it's offensive, I guess it's not my job to point it out. I'm not, I don't get easily offended. But I mean, douche is like a really funny word, but it also has misogynistic roots and using it as a jerk adjective. Just, I don't know, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I had never, ever thought about that, ever, as douche is having any sort of misogyny to it. To me, it's just kind of a funny word to call a jerk. It, it's kind of a fun, it is jerk, yeah, jerk is, jerk works too, though. But douche canoe, like you've made it into a whole new thing, Steve. <laughs> Actually, not me. So, I didn't start using that, I don't think. Until Angie, we have a friend that we used to game with. Oh, God, and, I miss that girl. Oh, my God. God, I miss my cryo pal. I know, She was the right? only one who agreed to go into stasis with me. You know, the, the wonderful thing about Angie is I remember how she said the word douche. And, and I could see her face. And I can hear <laughs> it in her voice. And I can see her hand. And I just, I, I love that. So and whenever being offensive in game is funny sometimes. It is. It is. But we're going to talk to Andrew because I think he wanted to say something. Oh, I was going to give an anecdote of when I was the conflict causer inadvertently. I hope inadvertently. It was a game that I had played with a close friend was a, was the DM, and I was playing with a lot of new players that hadn't played much, and there was a lot of dead time between decision making. And so we're, are you going to open the door? Are you going to listen? Are you going to, and I was, and I was playing a rogue. So I was kind of the point guy. So I was choosing the hallway that my character was going because I was sort of the scout, but it ended up my character was making lots of game decisions on whether we entered a room or whether we didn't enter the room or whether we chose the left hallway or the right hallway. And it was a combination of, I was probably the most experienced player at the table and the role of my character put me sort of at that vanguard point but my constant driving of what do i see what's the next thing i'm going to open the door what do i hear i'm the first one in the room and so then i'm, I'm the one essentially deciding whether there's combat or dialogue 
I had too much decision making in my role and I wasn't aware of it. And initially, I think I was trying to limit the downtime to keep the action flowing, not realizing that in my desire to keep the action flowing, that I was depriving the others at the table from being part of the decision making process. So there you have it. Did your DM step in and change the way he presented the dungeon to give your other players a chance to do something? No, I, no. <laughs> so you solved it yourself by becoming aware that you were taking all the action. Yeah. Did you get the stink eye? Was that how you figured it out? No, it was, there were a lot of other issues in that game and we were working through it, but it ended up being, being okay. There takes a certain amount of self-awareness as a player or a GM in order to see your effect in the group. And on the GM side, that comes with experience. Andrew? I think that my role as a reluctant DM, I've said before, I would prefer to play. I really enjoy playing the game. And I, I really enjoy playing the game. And I DM because I enjoy playing but don't have the opportunity to play otherwise. So that's kind of the, the thing. The Online community has opened up opportunities for me to play, so I'm really enjoying that a little. So I think I'm more aware because I have both roles, and when I do get an opportunity to play, I have DM, and I've got that DM experience, and so I'm seeing things sort of from a a DM perspective while the game's rolling, and I don't know. For me, I love the variety of being a player. To be a player, to me, is a, a nice spice that I get to put into the dish a little bit, but Overall, I would much rather DM just in general. I feel like as a GM, you get to put so much more into the game, which I like. You get to be so many more characters. I like running games for kids because every new group of kids, it's like we've gone through the introductory adventure in the box set. I mean, I've run it five or six times for all kinds of different kids, and it's different every time. You know, and every time I run it, I got a different introduction. It's so much fun. I love it. Maybe that's because I've done it a bunch of times and I feel confident with it. Like I try to run for my peers online. I can't do this online without minis and people and walking around. I can't stand this sitting still and talking to a camera stuff. But in a room with live humans, it's really fun, Dungeon Master. But I, I like to be a player. I can play online. It's a little bit boring, but... It's really hard to game master online for me. So if you were going to give a GM a pointer based on what we've been talking about, because I think there are plenty of people out there, like I've said, who've GM'd for years, who have not really grown as a GM in a way that really works to inspire players and works to give the player this this grand experience because people kind of get stuck in the mode of I'm doing this for my own enjoyment which is true but GMing is very much a give and take you know you have to be giving in order I believe to run a successful campaign because if you are not willing to seed some of that agency, some of that choice, some of the emotion and the story and the history that you're building to the player, then it becomes an empty run-through for the individuals in your game. So, as a player looking at DMs, both old and new, who would want to kind of take their game to the next level, I would say that you really have to make sure that your priorities are straight for what you're doing and what you're presenting. And you have to be able to, in in some ways, give way, way, way more than you receive. You have to give so much of yourself over. But at the same time, you are ultimately the god or goddess of this realm. And it is your voice, it is your decision, it is your everything that makes the world and makes the game for these people. So 
all of these things ultimately fall back on you, the success of it, how much people enjoy it. And so I I would tell people, you know, you got to open it up a little bit. And if you're doing it because you want to tell the grand story, that's great. But don't let that get in the way of providing a good experience for people. And often that's without your own direction. You're providing the map, but they have to go out and explore it. I'd like to know from each of you if you have a particular suggestion for GMs so that they can grow and work better with their parties, prevent this kind of conflict, solve it, whatever, please tell me. And we'll start with Andrew. I think that focusing on teamwork for your adventure solutions is an important piece. That if the lesson is constantly presented, that if the team loses, everyone loses. That you don't leave a team member behind. It's constantly reinforcing this notion that working together is what solves the problems. That there's no one individual that's more important than the rest. That the group is what matters. That sort of collective nature. And that's true for real world. We work in a collaborative environment, and those people that can collaborate well and share, they are typically much more successful than people who try to be isolationists. Can't do that. You need to be able to trade what you're good at with other people who are good at other things. And having that interaction, that dance together to create something greater than the sum of its parts. And that's a lot of abstractions to say, focus on teamwork. (laughs) (laughs) build problems that are only resolved through teamwork and you'll create cohesion among the group. It's like Navy SEALs BUDS class. You may not be familiar with Navy SEALs BUDS training, but it's essentially a bunch of exercises that require every member of the group to contribute as a team member. And the whole point is that the team works together. For me, first of all, I wanted to make a comment on your earlier point, Steve, which was Mm-hmm. that um, to me, the, the whole world-building experience would be empty without people to actually live in it and experience it and do things in it. So I think that's like the huge draw of it. You get to make a world, and then people get to do things in it, which if you're writing a novel, you are also deciding what the characters are going to do. You're deciding all that. In an RPG... You don't know that. People, real people, get to live in the world that you built. That's a, that's a huge draw, and I think that's part of what I love about it the most. Um, as for the advice, I think that my best advice would probably be to just be aware whenever there are potential conflicts. Be aware of whenever your players aren't saying anything, but they are uncomfortable or otherwise not being into the game, and identify what that is. And if you can identify what that is, then that is the hard part. The easy part is going and saying, hey, you know, discussing with somebody what needs to happen to make this experience better. Or, you know, taking whatever solutions are necessary. I think that the solutions are are easier than identifying what the problem is. So just be aware of your players. Watch them while they're playing. See who's engaged. See see what parts they like and what parts they don't. And if they seem annoyed at somebody, you just got to watch them and you can kind of figure out what's going on at your table. Now, admittedly, with COVID and everything, that's a lot easier in person. So I also find online GMing harder. But the best advice I can give is just identify what's going on and then address any problems that might come up. Well, I think ground rules for your table are really important to have as a GM. You have to have understanding, and ours are really simple when we say them all the time, treat each other with respect, no hurtful things to your peers, like we're all friends here, we're working together, togetherness towards the same goal. And then remember that you are the arbiter of reality in this world. Even if it's set in a book that everyone already knows, You are the arbiter of ultimate reality. So you can be creative. Redirection is a thing that we use at the center all the time. You can use it in to resolve game conflicts as well. If it's a personal thing, you're not going to work it out in game. So like 
Just don't be afraid to push the story along. I'm not saying you gotta roll over people's feelings or anything, but the story's for everyone. If two characters are having a conflict, if you can move it out of the way and keep the story going, then everybody at your table will be happy, and then you can talk about that later. Like over cookies. Mmm. And that's that's something that I was thinking as the three of you were talking, and the cookies thing kind of puts a nice bow on it, because one of the things you have to do as the GM is you have to force yourself to talk with players as people outside of the game, mm-hmm. and sometimes within the game, talk directly to them as people. Now, I think a lot of people find it a lot easier just to think of it as, You sit down and you're dealing with the characters. But in that role, you are hurting the cats that are the players. You are the shepherd. And you have to be aware that there is a responsibility sometimes to have these difficult metagaming conversations, either about the game itself or about the issues between the players. And I wonder, actually, if people are having an easier time with that now or a harder time. For me personally, it's always harder to have to talk to a person face-to-face. You know, even using Discord, this is easier than face-to-face because there's an element of separation and an element of feeling safe in being away from somebody. And I wonder if for these conversations that you just have to learn and force yourself to have sometimes for the benefit of your game and the benefit of the players in your game, I wonder if that's easier now that we're in pandemic time. Ooh, ooh, head shakes. An indifferent and too definite nose. Mm. Well, well, let's, let's reverse this and start backwards. Tracy... The give, internet, give me your stinky face no. It, it robs me of all of my powers, okay? I can't smell how you feel. I can't feel your vibration. <laughs> like, I can't stand behind you and intimidate you if I need to. And all of my DM powers are physical. Like, I heard the cats with my mind and my body. And it's really hard for me to do that on the internet. I can talk to a person, All I can listen to a person, like you stare at a person and you let them talk, and once they realize you're listening to them, then they'll tell you. But I, I don't get any of that over the screen. None of that. No. I mean, conflict resolution is so much easier in person for me. Hmm. Hands down. I agree entirely. A lot of communication is body language. and acting and actually being in a room hanging out with people. And for me, both the enjoyment and ability to actually control anything is way worse over the internet. Even something as simple as keeping your players invested in the game. They can all be here at the computer and they can be, you know, looking at uh, vice presidential debates or something and <laughs> and checking <laughs> out. <clears throat> Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's it's just way harder to keep everything focused to understand how people are feeling over the internet. Way better in person. Hmm. Andrew? I don't know. I, I don't seem to have issues with, and perhaps I had more issues when I was younger and less experienced, but I feel as if if there's a conflict that needs addressed then I don't think it's fair to the other person to not address it. That there is a obligation on my part to be bold enough, to be courageous enough to speak truth, even in an uncomfortable situation. And that that's just a responsibility. And I think that's true whether you're a DM or whether you're a GM or whatever your role is. If there is an issue that needs addressed, once you've addressed it, your responsibility has ended. So beating a dead horse, as they say, I I think if you're avoiding that and you just know that I have an obligation to deliver this message, how it's received, I can't control. I'm going to just let that go. But I'm going to try to be fair to this individual. I'm going to be 
treat them in a fair way and be bold enough to speak the truth that needs to be spoken, then the interface, whether it is in person, via video call, or by phone, or by text, is important only in the sense that it gives the other person maybe more opportunity to see your sincerity or to see your, for your body language to be communicated in the delivery. And so I prefer to do things face-to-face because I think it shows respect for the other individual. I don't want them to feel that I have sent them a text message because I didn't want, I didn't want to have to deal with the situation or I was trying to slide it or that it wasn't as important. If I've got to the point where I needed to address an issue that's a problem, then I owe it to the other person to respect them and do it in as face-to-face a method as possible. If I can't do it face-to-face because of a pandemic, then I need to do it face-to-face over a video call or at least give them the opportunity to have a video call. And they can pass on that if they want, but I need to give them the opportunity to have the fullest communication that I can offer. And that's just a matter of respect. I agree completely, and I think you're really, really good about that, and I admire that about you. Well, thank you. I think with the ubiquity of emails and Snapchats and non-direct communication, it's easier for people who aren't good at face-to-face communication to have these conversations and not, like, my like teenagers are not going to be offended by a text message. I still think it's important to you're not going to break up with your girlfriend over a text message or something like that. But you can communicate other things over the internet. I, I'm not going to give Steve any frown towns for liking to do it in a chat window as opposed to do it in a coffee shop or something like that. You know, he's eloquent and he writes good words and he communicates himself. So, uh, But see, I have like verbal diarrhea here over the screen, whereas if we were in the same room together, <laughs> I would spellbind you and then it would be <laughs> The only thing I like better about the online interface is that there aren't long goodbyes where people feel awkward about leaving. Everyone's just like, all right, it's over. <laughs> See ya. That's it. <laughs> you know, There's not the whole trying to get your stuff, go to the door, walk out to the car. All that's gone. So that's the only thing I like better mm-hmm. about the online. <laughs> that's interesting. That That whole ritual. And it is a ritual, that whole ritual that we have of entering and exiting is changed. That's very, it's making my mind stutter. I can't really think through that. It kind of makes me sad. I love being around people and I feed off of people. And there's no hugs. Right. There's no hugs. (sighs) There's no, you know... Oh, Andrew's like, no hugs. He was like, no hugs. Fantastic. (laughs) A plus, no hugs. (laughs) COVID forever, no hugs. Yeah, I never get sick because I always, you know, I never get sick because I always keep your distance. Arm's length, mine, Mm. not yours. I'm not not a hugger. I'm not a hugger. I didn't used to be a hugger, to be perfectly honest. But working with kids Mm. changed me a little bit. I'll just do whatever people are doing to me. If they look like they're going to shake my hand, I'll shake their hand. If they're going for a hug, I'll do a hug. doesn't really matter to me. I'll just, oh, whatever, I'll, whatever they're going for is what I'll do. I will endure a hug. <laughs> I have forced hugs on Andrew and I will continue when I see Andrew in person to force hugs on Andrew because it's just, you know, and that sounds awful too. I feed on people. I force <laughs> hugs. It's like I'm some kind of terrible you know, serial toucher. Yeah, but you, you know, do give like, good hug, though, Steve. I do. You do. I do. I do. As long as you're not sniffing their hair. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'll be offended if you don't sniff my hair. I make it smell good for you, Steve. <laughs> oh, is that a hint of frankincense? What is what is that? Odor? What is that? Mmm. Oh, some kind of resiny. I love it. Mm. Frankincense is an excellent sense. Nice. (laughs) Okay. So I, I was thinking, you know, here at the end that one of the problems that I was thinking of while you all were talking about how you deal with it, how you deal with interpersonal things and how you deal with talking with people and the fact that Definitely for, 
Mark and Tracy, the fact that you can't have, you know, you can't share the same air, that that has an effect on you in dealing with people. And I understand that. I do. If I'm around happy people, I'm happy. And I just soak up whatever vibe is around me. And I don't have that through the screen as much. I can have it with people who are animated. And Tracy, you're far more animated than Andrew and Mark combined. <laughs> uh, there, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> you know, that's, that's the way it is. But it's very different feeding off of essentially just language versus, you know, the whole package. And that's, that's a total screwed up aside. Interesting comment for a radio format podcast. I know. I know. I know. Well, hopefully, hopefully, when people listen to voices, that the personality of the body behind the voice is in some way conveyed through the cadence and the flow and the tone and the pitch and all of those things. And that I don't think I'm good at. I hope I sound as wooden as I am. <laughs> I don't think I get conveyed very well through a straight voice, but we'll see. I don't know. I think in this context you do. In, in, in the podcast context. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that you all would like to touch on? Well, there was a little bit in the pre-game notes that we shared about whether your dungeon master, or your game master, is the player's adversary. And I feel real strongly about that, that your dungeon master creates adversaries in the NPCs and in the environments. But if you are sitting at the head of the table, like trying to get your players, you're in the wrong chair. If you're the game master, your job is to give them a story and shepherd them through it, have fun. If you're trying to kill them, like that's not my game table. I'm not down with that game. <laughs> I mean, they might die as a result of natural circumstances. Don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to that. But that attitude of being an adversary, that's not the kind of game table I, I would want to sit at or want my kids or my friends to sit at. Me neither. And I've never gotten that because if you are the GM, you can win. You aren't showing any talent or anything by quote unquote winning in that way. I mean, you, you control the world. You can, you can just off them anytime you want. So that's, I've never understood adversarial GMs. It doesn't make much sense to me. Like, why are you even doing it? Now, the other thing that we didn't quite touch on, actually, that I'm thinking about is we haven't really talked about players killing players that much. Like, how often have you seen this happen, guys? Well, one time, me and Steve oh. were in this bar. And so Steve made magical darkness. <laughs> and because of the magical darkness, our wizard died. And I thought it was funny. I don't think the player, I mean, he rolled with it. But it was a gag for literal years. And then at the end of the campaign, he came back and it was awesome. So like that death was valuable to the story arc as totally accidental as it was. It's not like you actually stabbed him or anything. No, I wasn't the one who put him down. No, but it was all. the magical darkness that everyone made. Because we like to pick on Steve a lot. And I fulfill that role. Yeah. Maybe Steve didn't actually kill Lysander. No. But uh, it was I get funny. blamed for it. Yeah. And if it's yeah, and funny. Yeah, you said was. Was. <laughs> is still <laughs> a reference. You know those assholes we play with are oh, talking yeah. to other people and they're like, you know what? This was fine. Hey, did I ever tell you about the time that Steve, and I say assholes, they're not assholes. I love them. I love them. Oh, yeah. You know. And they also love telling the story. I know Keith gets uh, real jolly out of telling the story every single time. <laughs> That he can. So there's nothing. I mean, it was a good death. A good death. How about you, Andrew? How often do you see this? I don't see it very often, but I did it. 
in my very first <laughs> D&D game, I was 12, maybe uh, <laughs> younger than that. And my rogue killed the party in their sleep at the very end and took all their stuff and left. And what? I, no, wait a minute. Makes sense. And I wait, wait, wait. And oh, it has okay. been a burden. <laughs> it really has. It's been a it's like, what was I thinking when I was that age? It's like, I am so glad I have grown out of that. Uh, but it, it bothered me afterwards. I was like, what kind of decision? What what are you thinking? What kind of person are you for doing that? And it, uh, it was it was weird. Yeah. It it must bother you. It must have bothered you because I can't believe after all the time that I've known you that I don't know that story. Yep. That is <laughs> I don't know if I can get over that. Yep. I'll it, work on it. It definitely shaped it shaped the way I play and shaped my attitude toward playing afterwards because the the reflection on that game afterwards when I was younger I think I thought it was kind of funny. But later, I just started, as I became more self-reflective and wondering, what does that, <laughs> what did that decision mean? And what was I just, you know, was that a reflection of me? Was I actually playing the character? Just that kind of, it, it just touched on a, something that I was concerned with when I was young. But again, I was 12. You know, what do, what do you know? I have done it before as well. For me, it was, I was like a vampire. This was like fourth ed. And one of the other party members was an inquisitor, and he kept giving me help, being like, I'm watching you. Better not step out of line. I'll get you and all this stuff. And I, and I figured my character would probably want to get rid of this guy. Um, and he was wounded in battle. I was able to turn to a cloud of bats, get him, and then fly off into the trees so they couldn't find me. And then I, um, I had some way of shape changing or something. So I just changed my look and then rejoined the party later. Huh. Yeah, under a different name and stuff. So that's whenever I did it. But I've seen it actually in roughly about, I'd say, 50% of the games that I've been in. Somebody kills somebody, be it some sort of conflict like that, like where somebody has their motivations that differ and one of them will kill each other. I've also seen this where, let's say, for example, the healer didn't heal the guy whenever he thought that he should have or something. At this point in the game, these characters have access to resurrection. And they will kill them as sort of like a, don't do that to me again, a revenge type thing. It was really fun. I've never seen it lead to any real problems, but apparently I've seen it a lot more than you guys. Like I said, about half the time, it'll happen like once for me. Jesus. <laughs> huh. Tracy, I, I don't recall playing with you where you've actually murdered another player i don't think i've actually murdered another player yeah i'm sure i've murdered lots of npcs that's enough murdering for me yeah unless you're in a game that's set up to be rapid fire and like you've got four characters in the stable so when your first one goes down you have another one you can jump back into the game before uh it was so easy to get a new character like people worked on those they made them you know it's bad enough to die of your own stupidity, but to have a person on your party kill you when it's not an accident, the group that I play D&D with, are, they're my friends. Like, I trust them to know me. And I think if one of the people that I played D&D with killed my character, I would not be happy about it. I would just be personally, I would get a little butt hurt. Oh, I, I will add that it was at a, a camp and I didn't, it was a, I was at a When you were 12, it's okay, Andrew, you were 12. <laughs> and I, I didn't know anybody you. I was playing with. I was playing with a bunch of college kids, and so I killed off a bunch of college kids' characters. Well, that must have <laughs> oh. been a really powerful moment for you, because they, pro you know, you were a 12-year-old kid playing with college kids. I stole all I've got PTSD gold. from it. It was not a powerful moment. <laughs> 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 Oh, it seemed like power in your prepubescent hormonal mind. Little did you know at the time. That's how I feel about most of the guys I dated in college. Oh. So for <laughs> most of the player kills that I've seen actually happen, I feel like mo normally people will fake a little bit of butthurt about it, but 
most of the time, and maybe this is part of the players who are doing it, reading the other players, but they're sort of like, oh, I get to roll a new character. That's kind of exciting. And I generally feel that way about player death in general. Like, it's an exciting opportunity to have a new, a new adventure. Right. At least for them, the cause didn't matter. I feel like usually they either got resurrected or they were sort of asking for it. They were walking up to another member of the party and just kept poking at them. Mm. So, clearly a response uh, that they were okay with, I would say, if they're, if they're stirring the pot like that. I have, on purpose, character-wise, murdered two or three PCs. And not murdered. It's not like they didn't know it was happening. It's not like it was, you know, oh, he, you know, snuck up behind me. It was part of a bona fide conflict. A duel. And not a fight, protecting something, defending something, trying to prevent another character from doing the wrong thing or being a dick. And the character's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, well, my character's <laughs> going to draw its weapon. <laughs> That's my character begins casting spell roll for initiative. You know, I, I've done that, which in that particular case, it, it wasn't malice against the other player. It wasn't malice, you know, from the game or from outside the game or anything like that. It was part of the narrative. It was the other person who provoked that situation and to their peril, unfortunately. Now, it could have gone the other way. They could have defended themselves. They could have stopped killing all those innocent birds I was protecting. But no, no, they, they kept killing those innocent birds. And so I cleft them in twain. <laughs> and it was glorious. It was glorious. <sighs> I'm a terrible person. I feed off of people. <laughs> split people with my scimitar. I... <sighs> And on that note, I think we'll stop recording. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? Thanks for joining us on Game Mastery. You can always check us out on anchor.fm slash game dash mastery. Or follow us on Twitter at Mastery underscore Game, Instagram at Game Mastery Podcast, or Facebook and YouTube at Game Mastery. If you'd like to ask us a question or get some follow-up information, maybe submit a topic for the show, please email us at rpg.gamemastery at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week for more information to make your games better and to make you a better Game Master.